0: It's all fun and games until the tabloids throw you to the walls. I'm really, really proud of being rich and Judy's daughter. I'm not in the public eye anymore, really. Like, I'm a health and fitness author, broadcaster, coach. I digress. <laughs> I'm still tabloid fodder, and I venture to guess half the people reading The Sidebar of Shame now have no idea who my parents even are, let alone me. Those comment sections should be shut the fuck down. They are online forums for mass bullying. When I was doing Dancing on Ice, I had my first ever panic attack Ooh. in the middle of a routine. It was awful, and it just all came tumbling down. Before I knew I was a fucking mess <laughs> lifting weights. Feels freaking excellent. It sounds so ridiculous, but it was like a, it was like a calling. It was like here I am. This is it. My strength, my mental ability, my physical ability. It just went like like Tetris, chick, 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 chick. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to stop doing this.
1: My guest today is Chloe Madeley, a personal trainer, coach, author, and mentor whose experience in health and fitness has earned her the position of one of the most trusted names in the industry. I should probably tell you at this point that she has coached me, so I can tell you firsthand that her ability to steer somebody towards their goals by shifting mindset and self-belief and arming them with accessible and accurate information is astonishingly effective. Chloe was born in Manchester and raised in London and after a brief stint at Leeds Trinity and All Saints College focused on a career in media. She has presented Big Brother's Big Mouth, appeared as a contestant on Dancing on Ice and The Jump and was a columnist for Now magazine before launching her own website, Fitness Fondue. She is married to former England rugby player James Haskell and they have a daughter, Bodie, together. Chloe has no problems admitting she's a work in progress, she admits when she's wrong, is extremely self-aware and knows her own mind, which is why... I'm extremely excited to go on this journey of her life lessons in this episode of the podcast. Chloe. (laughs) What an intro. Welcome to the show. Stop with that intro.
0: I mean, you didn't mention my parents. I'm like in shock. You didn't call me a TV presenter. I'm just like, so, I mean, I definitely had my stint, but it came and went pretty quickly.
1: I'm so impressed. Thank you very much. Is that, is that stuff that you would prefer didn't preface everything that you did? Oh my God. It's so, you
0: know what? I'm really, really proud of being my parents' daughter like so I'm really prideful when when people introduce me as being Richard and Judy's daughter it's this weird aftermath of who's a TV presenter like because they've got the main thing in there I guess Mm -hmm. then they just don't bother to learn anything else about me but they've just got me onto a podcast or you know I don't know a newspaper or magazine to interview me and I'm like well, first of all, it's kinda of rude. <laughs> Second of all, do your job. Like what ha- what's happened to journalism or like even if, if you have the audacity to have your own podcast that where you have guests on. Do your research. Like, what do you... I, it's, I find it bizarre. Um, but yeah, the amount of times I've gone on like podcasts and done interviews and people just don't know what I do for a living. And then I just immediately think like, why am I here? Like, why did I... It's just very, very frustrating. Now I sound like I'm already moaning right off the bat. There's going to be a lot of this today. <laughs> I'm so
1: excited. <laughs> well, because that that leads into... so That's like the Nepo baby thing. And yes. you have worked so hard mm-hmm. at what you do. Mm. And actually being... As impactful and as influential as you are in the fitness space hasn't had anything to do with any leg up from any connection that your parents might have had.
0: No, it's really interesting. That word nepotism defined, I suppose, my later teenagers and early 20s. Um that word nepotism was thrown at me from every tabloid and troll, because this is when Twitter also started to come about that you can imagine. And we were just talking before we we started recording on the podcast Was listening to your brilliant episode with Dean Piper, who, of course, I've known since I was a teenager. And um, he mentioned that nepotism thing, again, in, in quite like a derogatory way. And, and I suppose a lot of people feel negatively about that term. And I said, well, first of all, it's. Prevalent in every industry you can think of, you know, mm-hmm. especially um, things like medicine um, and, you know, law, um, but also the media, but every industry. It's mm-hmm. it's a prevalent um, thing that happens. And it's, I think, from an outsider or objective point of view, and it, this is what happened to me when I went into television, which I should never have done because I hated it. I think people look at it and they're like, oh, she just wants an easy ride. Oh, she just wants a leg up. And that's how you kind of define this action of following in your parents footsteps. For me, it was very much a very natural organic case of monkey see, monkey do. I would go to school and after, well, so when I was really little, my parents were doing this morning, this morning was my nursery. It was my daycare. I would just run around the prop room. I'd run around the floor. Floor managers hated me. <laughs> I was a nightmare. And then, and then you know, uh, when, I, when they did the Channel 4 show and they were on in the evenings after school, I'd go to the studio like that's just what i did so once schooling was done for me and i was still em- embroiled in this world of course i went into it mm-hmm. and as by the way did my brother and and it, it's um although much more behind the scenes than i i did um and then i realized very quickly that i didn't want to be there and i and i know we're going to come onto this i took a big risk and I, I walked away from it to a much less glamorous much less um financially rewarding job um, and Yeah, I think I just think I look back now and I and I remember how much I struggled with it. And I think, you know, that was kind of the the beginning of my my struggles with um, generalized anxiety disorder. And yeah, it was tough. And I just I don't really think I look back on myself now and I'm like, I didn't go into it to gain anything other than just ease of like
1: kind of transition, I suppose. Mm. Well, because the assumption is, is that you were just in the proximity of your parents and someone to say hey do you want to host a television show or <laughs> yeah. hey do you want to do this and an opportunity that someone else would have to fight really really hard for
0: yeah a hundred percent and so what's really interesting though is that as you mentioned there like the dancing on ices and the i don't know random red carpet um event or press junket for legally blonde or whatever and i would get offered the thing and that was great but what nobody ever realized or knew at that point or no you know what they did know what no one ever said out loud especially in the industry was that i was also a junior i was a runner and then i was a junior researcher and i worked my way up to senior researcher every day of every week of every month behind the scenes while i was doing everything else um before re- i realized i don't want to be a tv producer what the hell am i doing here i also <laughs> don't want to be a tv presenter and i bailed <laughs> i was like hard pass thanks bye um but i was very much working and i was doing those kind of like horrible you know graveyard hours and and coffee runs on the really really early morning tv shows but no one wanted to no, shine a light no on one no one wants to say that because it's much easier to be like oh look at this you know and i was this was during a time when you know the paris hiltons of this world were really blowing up everybody just loved being like what have you done? And th- you know what, right, fair enough, totally fair enough, but um, I was actually working and it wasn't a case of me being like, this is going to be an easy ride. I think easy transition in terms of life moving, mm. but not
1: like, oh, I'm, I'm not never going to have to do it. Like, it just wasn't like that.
0: Does mm. that yeah. makes
1: sense? It does. So because we've already mentioned it and it falls into, as you say, risk, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to sort of lead into this now. How would you describe your relationship with risk? I
0: used to be when I was younger a lot more I think um ballsy and risky in every context you can think of and actually I would say that my I would say that trying to follow in my parents footsteps in tv really quashed that and made me quite a scared (laughs) scared anxious um nervous person which I wasn't growing up um And actually, I said when you asked me about risk that the riskiest thing that I've ever done was coming away from TV and pursuing a career in in personal training, which any personal trainer will tell you there's no money in personal training. Um, But actually, I... Do you know what's so funny just talking to you about it now? I don't think that's the riskiest thing I did. I think that is the antithesis of risk. I think it was the safest thing I ever did. I think it was I want to come away from this and I want to come away from it now. And I was so very lucky that I fa- fell in love with weightlifting specifically. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what happened. That's what broke the mold for me. And, I, and, I, and it was my ex-boyfriend who was a bodybuilder who taught me how to weightlift. And I fell in love with it session one. Like session one, that was it. Um, and I'm so lucky that I found something that I loved and there was someone to teach me how to do it who was a personal trainer um, that showed me that there was a life and a a life outside of media Mm. that I could safely pursue. And so actually, ironically, I don't think it was the riskiest thing I ever did.
1: (laughs) It was the opposite. It's the best thing you ever did. Yeah. Oh, definitely. When you... Okay, so if you had thought at the time, this is a big risk me leaving media, Mm. what was at stake? i
0: knew it was it's hard when uh, there was a it was it was really it's really contradictory which is you know my my favorite road <laughs> to walk i know <laughs> people like this makes no sense i it was equal parts of i i am my father's daughter and you know my husband's wife i I really, there was a part of me, especially as a teenage girl, that did um, really like attention and did really like kind of performing. Um, and that's why I did Dancing on Ice and the Jump and things like that, because it's a real, you know, it's, it's a challenge, it's a performance. And 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 there, there was, it was equal parts, again, contradictory, I know, equal parts of being like, I am probably never going to be like, the centre of attention ever again I'm never going to be like relevant again and I need to kind of accept that and walk away from it and also running away from the word nepotism the you know again you talked with Dean Piper the the tabloid press kind of just really going for me constantly um and 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 it was but it was still very it was very difficult to reconcile and i've I think I heard Vicki Pattinson talking about this really recently, this idea that you know she did she did georgie Shaw she blew up and then she did the jungle and she blew up, and she won and then she had this massive influx of work, and we all know that that fades mm-hmm. and feeling like oh, if i'm if I'm not relevant, if people don't care about me, if I come away from the spotlight. You know, where does my, so where do I get my self worth from? Um, But still, I'm really happy that I did it. It saved me 100%.
1: I think what's really interesting is because of the connection, people would assume that you just said then tabloids would come for you. Mm. There would be this assumption that actually you'd get more of an easy ride. No. But no. <laughs>
0: no, it was horrible. It was horrific. And that's why I ran. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I realized quite quickly, like I say, I didn't really care about being in TV. I didn't really want to be a TV producer. And the trade off that I was getting with the treat, like, the, obviously, the flogging from the press that I got all the time, it just wasn't worth it. My mental health just crashed and burned. And thank God that I found what I found, like weightlifting now, that led me into everything that's happened now. Because not only am I lucky enough that I found something I want to do, which in and of itself is. It's really rare and a really miraculous thing, but also it was it just so happened to be something that was going to mend my my mental health and help me maintain my mental health. Um, you know you know training and 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 when when the word control falls on the wrong ears, especially in the context of what I do, people go like, um, but for me in the context of my mental health and what I was going through with with GAD. I needed that. I badly needed that control.
1: You said that um, recently and it really stuck with me because I sometimes don't say what I'm thinking about my issues with food and body image. Mm -hmm. Because I know that to somebody who had a more restrictive issue, they would look at what I'm doing and be like, (gasps) red flag. Yeah. But anything on the wrong ears can be dangerous.
0: A hundred percent. And I have to tread very, very carefully in my industry which is obviously like a homing beacon for people who've had issues with food, exercise, body image. Um, You know, I've got this big, big flashing kind of lighthouse light to them. Yet I have never, ever had an experience with an eating disorder. I've definitely over-restricted, you know, when I had a photo shoot whatever and... (laughs) completely pendulum swung the other way as soon as the shoot was done and i can kind of understand it from that angle but i've never had an eating disorder i definitely overtrained, but i never would have called myself an exercise addict Mm -hmm. so i have to be very careful with my wording and and aware and uh, uh, an awareness of my audience and where a lot of them are coming from when it comes to things like that so for me and and anyone who's can relate who's had you know mental health issues outside of food body image exercise will understand that control can be a wonderful thing Mm -hmm. um But to that bracket Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, as she said it's like a, it's like a magnet and you're like, yeah, you have to be very very careful and you have to tread very carefully with your messaging, which I hope I do. I don't know oh, I don't know, I hope I do.
1: Well, I think you do, but obviously I have a very, we all have our own very specific lens. Yeah. When you, when did you know that you had generalised anxiety disorder?
0: Uh, When I was diagnosed with it, uh, I was So when I was doing Dancing on Ice, I had my first ever panic attack. Ooh. Yeah. In the middle of a routine. It was awful. And thank God for Denise Walsh, honestly, who's like my second mother. I (laughs) she's amazing. I came off stage and the producers, everyone was around me and everyone was talking because I wasn't meant, I was meant to sit on the stage and watch the other routines. Anyone who watches the show will know. And I'm I'm a good girl. I do as I'm told. I'm not I'm not difficult. I'm not, you know, you know, leading the charge of independence. I just walked straight off and everyone came after me, like, You're meant to be on stage, you're meant to be on stage. And I just had a meltdown and thank God for Denise Rush, she was like, Everybody get that fuck out um at the green room. Um and just kind of sat with me and, and sorted it out with me. And that, and then, so then I was like, they, everyone on ITV and my family were like, okay, well, you need to go to therapy because that's a big deal. Like a panic attack a big deal.
1: <laughs> it can feel like you're about to expire. It was, I, obviously, yeah. everyone's experience is different. I remember having one and just sort of slumping onto the floor, but. While simultaneously sweating through oh, everything gosh. that I was wearing and thinking <laughs> that say like this. something was about to attack me. It was and it was terrifying. It's a big,
0: big deal. And I, it was awful. Yeah. And I, I, um, I sort of just go going back in my head to another one I've had, which was even worse. But anyway, so I was oh, like, no. um, yeah, so I was like, you know what? It's performance anxiety and it's manifesting itself like this, you know, because it's just the fight or flight, this adrenaline, mm. you're on live television ice skating. Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> so like, of course it was terrifying. went to therapy and kind of thought, okay, well, this is performance anxiety. And I always had had a bit of anxiety from, you know, everything I've mentioned already. And I was like, okay, like, it's fine. And then I got into a relationship when I was on that show and completely broke me. And and then oh my gosh it was just like it was just a a wave that swallowed me up and um yeah if it if it hadn't been I remember my dad coming down to the kitchen for like the umpteenth morning in a row and I was just slumped on the floor crying and he was like okay no more we're gonna get you into therapy and we're gonna do it now and if it hadn't been for that I I honestly I honestly do not know where I would be today.
1: Was it a quick decline into that sort of feeling? Or do you think, if you look back, do you think actually the signs have been... Oh my God, yeah, for ages. Mm.
0: Absolutely ages. I would say probably started maybe in my late teens. And then by the time, yeah, by the time... You know what, actually, I suppose it depends on your your, your concept of time. Mm-hmm. It took a few years, but, and it did actually happen in quite quick succession in my head. But it did just get to a point where I basically stopped. I became an insomniac, I was vomiting, my anxiety was so bad. I would just vomit all the time, all day, every day. Um, Panic attacks, less frequent, but frequent enough that they were plural. (laughs) And yeah, and, and I had to go to real therapy. And I'm so lucky that literally as all of this happened, I found what I'm doing now, which, and like I say, the beauty of A, finding something that I was meant to do instead of being so lost, helped. Be the fact that it was something so physical that channels adrenaline and cortisol in such an effective way and forces you to be present. You have mm-hmm. to be present when you've got 85 kg on your back. You know, you have to be present. Um, something that forced me to take better care of myself. You know, this was a time like I started doing TV, you know, you know mm-hmm. what it's like. You go freedom Freedom every, every Thursday night, you know, off your trolley and rest on the weekend and, and Monday through Friday, well, Monday through Thursday is party time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it forced me to take care of myself and, and gave me purpose. I mean, I just remember the relief the day that I started getting my, my level two gym instruction qualification, which I've obviously added to, <laughs> just in case anyone's <laughs> like, that doesn't qualify
1: you as a PT, babe. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's never gone away, never gone away. So, do you remember that first session? And, like, could you hear angels? Was there a bright beam of light? Was what? Because sometimes we can get drawn to quick fixes, or we can yeah. sort of like, like, oh, this is shiny and new, I love it. But this seems like to your very core, mm. it was like, I have found. The
0: thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I, mean? I used to. <laughs> Oh, cliche. People going to be listening. And I'm like, of course you did. I used to go to Pineapple like two nights a week, and I used to dance. I used to dance with an <laughs> off the
1: shoulder sweatshirt. Yeah,
0: I've got Pineapple off the shoulder. Yeah, the big baggy pants. What were the pants called? The harem. Are they? Yeah. Pants? Yeah. Oh
1: god. No I bitch. really couldn't pull those off with my lower I body. Mean, honestly,
0: who could? <laughs> like nobody can. In fairness, no one. Can. Not even Russell Brand can pull them off, and he is like you know far from pear shaped. So I, <laughs> so I um. I used to go and it is the same feeling when I got that I hadn't had since I was a teen. I stopped when I had my GCSEs because I'm somebody who gets very overwhelmed very quickly and I have to mm. drop all the balls just to keep one in the air when that happens. And um so I stopped going when I was 15ish. Um but I was good. Like, I was a good dancer, right? And I and it reminded me of that when you pick up a dance routine and you and the whole class are doing it together in tandem, and you finally got it. Like, and I was always the one at the back. It took me the longest, but I got there in the end, right? So I'm proud of that. It was like that again. It was like everything synced up. My my mental space, my surroundings, my my presence in my surroundings, my strength, my mental ability, my physical ability. It just went like like Tetris, chick 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 chick, and I was like, oh. I'm never going to stop doing this, and then I started to get really into it, and I kept watching my boyfriend at the time who was PTing people um, in the gym, and I was just like seething with jealousy not not of the I always say that people are like oh of the other girls and I'm like no of him but he I was wanted, teaching, teaching yeah yeah that's what I wanted to do and I was like that's it I've got to do it I've got to it was like a, it sounds so ridiculous people are like oh you're a PT relax but it was like a, <laughs> it was like a calling it was like here I am this is it. And I just loved it and I love writing. So the fact that this was at a time when everyone had a blog, you know, now everyone has a TikTok, but this time everyone had a blog. I was like, well, I'm going to have a blog because I love writing. And I remember day one of my p to, T course, I wrote on a, they said, write on a piece of paper what you want to get out of this. And I said, I want to build a career lifting, teaching other women how to lift and writing about it. And I literally did it. And I'm just, I, I truly, truly feel like it was the stars aligned and it was meant
1: to happen. What you're describing as well as getting into a flow state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. And I love how you said it. Well, I just sort of like, let's bring the <laughs> woo-woo to it. Yeah. Because it's, it is is really, sometimes you just know and you don't need to be able to explain it to somebody. Sometimes everything just fits together. Yeah, it's meant to happen. You just got to go with it.
0: A hundred percent. It's happened again to me recently, and I I, I can't talk about it yet because it's a project that is definitely in the very early stages. I got to a point recently, like coaching, where I've just not the EC method because I have Emma, and obviously it's group coaching, so it's a bit different.
1: Just for context for listeners, so Chloe has something called the EC method with another trainer who's been on this podcast, Emma Story Gordon. Mm -hmm. That's where I did my coaching, Mm -hmm. and you smashed it. it. Well, also I'm just like (laughs) I I won't ever go anywhere. Whenever I find out they're having a meetup, I'm just like I'm coming. (laughs) Um, So. But that's just one thing that you do with the group. So that's group
0: online coaching. That's group online coaching. So we have like a few hundred women in there and we... And Ollie. And Ollie. (laughs) Let's never forget Ollie. Um, We actually had Ollie and two other men on the last round. I actually don't think Ollie came back for this one. Anyway, (laughs) I digress. (laughs) So um, we do do it very responsibly. I mean, I say it almost like, you know, we don't um, really coach everyone, but we do. We do the workouts and obviously we do the nutrition coaching and the, the live Q&As and the podcasts. We do it all. Um, but then I have my one-to-one, which is much more bespoke. There's a much smaller group of clients, but it requires my full compassion, attention, focus. And um, I've realized that recently that I can't do Bodhi, <laughs> the EC method, the one-to-one coaching, write my fifth book and two podcasts. It's too much. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I, I, something's got to give. Um, And again, it's just mad how the, the stars kind of aligned and a, and a flow state has ensued. <laughs> That's given me the opportunity to come away from one-to-one, to spend more time with Bodhi, to do something new, to match pretty much financially what I'd be losing by mm-hmm. doing that in a time where I'm still... <laughs> Uh, furnishing a house which is so expensive um and and I it's happening again and I just feel so I don't I feel so lucky because for so long I was like oh my god how am I going to do this I can't come away from this thing because then I'll lose this and I it's very interesting I do think to be really woo-woo about it (laughs) putting it really putting it out there and kind of I don't know, people seeing things in your life shift can have a knock on effect and then your life will shift with Mm. it, um, which is really interesting.
1: Yeah, I do think sometimes you have to make room for things Mm -hmm. and you think there isn't any room, but it's weird how little things can shift. Yeah, I remember a, a few years ago being in this really financially lucrative consulting job. Yeah. But it was killing my spirit. Yeah. I hated going into it. But I had wanted for such a long time to have a, a job that would give me some financial security and just like keep the wolf from the door. Of course. That I was like, well, I, I have to overlook all of the things about it that are just horrible. And I was on the train into, into work one day and I dozed off on the train. And when I woke up, the clearest thought was, you're going to miss something major yeah. if you go in one more day. Yeah. So I went in and resigned. I love this. (laughs) This is amazing. It's really stupid though, because financially it was a really stupid thing to do. But something from within just said, you're so, even though you're trying not to see the bad in this, Mm -hmm. it's taking up all of your attention Mm -hmm. and you're going to miss a golden opportunity. Yeah, you'll fall down. And so sure enough, within the next six weeks, something else much better turned up.
0: I love that. And that's the thing. I I suppose that was a big risk coming away from TV and Making, I mean, again, God, I keep referencing your podcast with Dean. He talked about how much money there was in TV then. There isn't now.
1: Oh, my gosh. Isn't
0: nuts? And knowing that PTs, you know, I would make at best in London 50 pounds for an hour's work. And Mm -hmm. then I would have to drive around London because I wasn't working in a gym. I was self-employed. Go to another client, which would take an hour. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like, and I had to move in with my parents as well. It was um, definitely like a wake-up call. But I... Loved every second of it, and I also think when you really step back like that, and you'll know this, it does kind of incentivize you to go, "How can I build this? How can Mm -hmm. I make this bigger? How can I monetize this?" You know, we talk a lot about this on the E C methods. I'm sure you know, like people don't like talking about money. Mm Money is a fascinating thing, and actually, I think hearing different people from different you kind of I guess financial backgrounds or present stances in life talk about money is really helpful really your understanding of, of how to develop your own situation um and I think taking that step back had a knock-on effect of of being of thinking and I'm sure you experienced this too okay well how how, what, how can I do this how what's the dream mm. what's the dream where I can do what I love and make money and it pushes you and it forces you to achieve um and yeah, I, I don't. I actually think what is it in Friends where they say she doesn't have the fear because she doesn't want to quit being a waitress at Central Park. And then she quits and she's like, oh my god! And then she gets the fear, and then after a long, prolonged period, you have two episodes, I have two episodes, and Joshua, <laughs> <laughs> she, um, she, she gets there because she has the fear, and and I do actually think there is something in
1: that. Mm. Can you talk to me a little bit about before we move on? Because I'm obviously fully subscribed to the idea that lifting weights. Feels freaking excellent. The best. Feel my bicep. Um, <laughs> I always am like, uh, this I want to touch this one's my... a bit... <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's like my boobs breastfeeding. <laughs> it's like at night sometimes I'll just like flex my leg and like give my quad a good. You're squeeze like, yeah. Oh, you're oh, not yeah. right in the head. Okay, <laughs> no, I love it. I love but, it. Um, for some people listening to this, they might they might still and let's face it, a lot of women do think about uh, weight training as well. Oh, I don't want to bulk up. Oh please. Now, you and I are both on message, but I think that, for me, developing physical strength translates into mental strength.
0: 100%.
1: And so like last year when I said I've never been able to do a press-up, I've reached 45, I'm nearly 45, I need to know whether I I thought can- you might press-ups there now. So
0: <laughs> that's really good, favor. Carry on.
1: I'm 45 years old and going to be 45 years old this year. Do mm-hmm. I want to never do a press-up? Because it feels like yeah. when you <laughs> when you get to certain ages, you sort of think it's crunch time. if you need a better bucket list, <laughs> honestly. But it was re- And I thought I want to be able to do a press-up. Fair. And actually what I got from doing the press-ups was if I show up every day Mm -hmm. and consistent with the effort that I put into something Mm -hmm. and start as a beginner and I'm humble enough to go back and be the person who's doing press-ups against the wall standing up and progress, all the only element in addition to that that I need is time and I will get there. And there's something really peaceful about those component parts of reaching your goal. But with the weight element of it, it, it totally is. I am physically stronger, but those component parts have made me mentally stronger too. A hundred percent. A lot of um,
0: therapists liken it to, a lot of people who suffer with um, anxiety disorders really benefit from training and cooking. It's mm-hmm. so this kind of methodology of putting one step in front of the other, building something bit by bit, piece by piece, um, in the end to create something fantastic. And now I really hate I really hate it and I, I really fight against it with my clients where they're like, I know food is for fuel. I'm like, bullshit. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with comfort eating to an extent. Why, why, why do you think we have this restaurant culture? You know, you, you go out, you sit down, you're cooked for. It's lovely. You know, you have people say they go home and they have a nice home cooked meal. It feels, mm-hmm. it feels nice. Um and and you obviously you get that from cooking and from and you get that comfort from that. But it's also in terms of weightlifting. You know, I've already talked about kind of being present, feeling strong, feeling mentally accomplished as well as physically accomplished. But having such a positive impact on your body that you are doing for you. Is, and I think a lot of us, all of us, especially after all the lockdowns, can relate to not treating your body very well for a period of time. I think a lot of people either stopped exercising or over exercised, mm-hmm. a lot of people drank too much, me, <laughs> um, uh, or a lot of people actually let certain um, mental health disorders that they had had not let. I should that's that's definitely the wrong word, um, but sure, certain mental health disorders they had kind of come to the fore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a lot harder doing something good for you than it is doing something bad for you. A lot harder, and mm. I think it it gives you oh, such that's a sense. Hit me right
1: between the eyes. Sorry,
0: it, no, it's true though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I think it gives you such a sense of self worth in in your own abilities to take care of you. Like, oh, I can do this. Mm. It changed me. It changed my life, and it changed many people's like she's oh, not so funny I <laughs> this sentence makes me sound like such an old but i have to say this so i went on celebrity pointless with james <laughs> the other day and like they are he asked he asked everyone to introduce themselves and he was like what do you do and i was like oh you know i write books and like, and like kind of like almost like i was with loads of celebrities like, i'm not in the public eye anymore really like i do what i'm a coach i'm a face-to-face pt i'm an online pt coach i'm a health and fitness author, broadcaster, I was just like, I don't belong here. Like, this is not my world anymore. And I was like, and he was like, oh, so what got you into it? And I just like giggled. And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> I lifted off a weight and it changed my life. <laughs> and I heard myself and I started laughing. And he was like, anyway, I moved on to the next person, who I think was Charlene Thingy from um, uh, ITV News. Anyway. <laughs> And James was like, you just sounded like you made yourself sound like such an idiot. And I was like, cause I heard myself and I understand when I'm out of my environment, my echo chamber, my goldfish bowl, it sounds utterly ridiculous what I'm saying. Oh, you know, picked up a weight, changed my life. Mm. In my echo chamber, in my goldfish bowl, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was really embarrassing. And now I'm absolutely dreading talk about anxiety. <laughs> just dreading it coming out. And everyone was going to watch it and be like, who is this girl? What is wrong with her? Are you hoping that they'll just edit it out? I really hope they edit it out. <laughs> so bad.
1: That is... it's, But I think it's really difficult to explain... Yeah, it is difficult. But I also think that you have this unique position of you walked away Mm. and yet it doesn't take much for you to make the news. And I'm talking uh, about the sidebar of shame here. You will do a social media post about breastfeeding and boom, within 18 hours, it is up and it is shared in a way and you are written about Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't doesn't come from a kind place it seems no god no do you know what's so
0: interesting right i'm not really in the public eye anymore although that might change a little bit in the coming months (laughs) i'm not really in the public eye anymore and i haven't been for years especially since like i would say what when was the first lockdown march 2020 Mm -hmm. and i promoted a book from my kitchen literally like lucky that it was a cookbook i promoted a book from my kitchen um in the January 2021 kind of book PR machine that I had to promote it in I did it you know on my iPhone in my kitchen I didn't do any of the TV shows didn't do any of the circuits also a lot of um, the female mainstream media don't want to touch me because they think that my messaging's bad which couldn't be more wrong but we are in a self-love self-acceptance movement now Makes note to, come back to <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, makes note to that. Um we're in a self love, self-acceptance movement now, and they don't want to see a blonde girl who's kind of in shape talking about why women should change their bodies, right? Mm. You know, in, in our context, we know that means weightlifting, you know, taking care of your body. Mm-hmm. To them, they see it as body shaming. Mm-hmm. And it's not of the fashion. It's not and that's why I personally think and I actually uh I actually had have had a very prominent male in our industry come in at me and, and about this. But I think that in order, in, our, in the mainstream media, if you want to be succes- successful in the health and fitness space, you're going to have a lot better luck at it if you're a man. It doesn't sit well having another woman, especially if she's young, blonde, Richard and Judy's daughter, you know, likes to pose in her underwear on Instagram, sit there and talk about what you should be doing, like mm. what you should be eating, da, da, da. Um, so I actually think the space, the mainstream media space, is wide open for men. And I think the only female who will conquer that space is a female who is solely coming at her body from self-love and self-acceptance. Um, I can't remember where I was going with this, but I'm having fun. <laughs> Talking about you being picked up, like your yeah. Instagram posts. So, so I wasn't doing the, the mainstream media um, route, and I... And I haven't in about three years. And I find it utterly fascinating that this, I'm still tabloid fodder. Mm. I, I don't understand why. Maybe it's because my dad's still doing GMB. It's the only thing I can think. I'm still tabloid fodder. And I venture to guess half the people reading the sidebar of shame now have no idea who my parents even are, let alone me, but it's crazy. And also when you read the comments underneath them, and by the way, that those comment sections should be shut the fuck. Down, and I have never ever so strongly felt anything about the media or the press, and I feel a lot of things about them very strongly. We talked about my weighty chip on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Never believed something so vehemently as I believe that shut them down. They are online forums for mass bullying of the worst kind to be celebrated and to amass and to grow like this horrible cancer. It makes me sick. Um, and the the amount of crap I get underneath it. And I'm just like, James is always like, why do you look? And I'm like, I, he thinks, so he, someone once said to him, and you, if you read negative comments about yourself, it's a form of self-harm. And he's carrying that with him and like that smell, his like drum. I'm like, I actually find it very interesting. I don't just do it with me. I do it. If you have a look at like what they write under Taylor Swift or mm-hmm. the Kardashians, or it's horrific. It shows the worst, worst kind of humanity. Now, a lot of people be like, oh, poor, you know, rich celebrities, you know? it's actually what it represents on a much bigger scale and believe me this is a trickle down effect right Mm. Um, and I just find it fascinating um, that anyone is remote they're not I don't actually believe that anyone is interested in me but they are the the tabloid press are and the trolls are Mm. which I don't really think is much and again sorry if this sounds I don't know
1: self important I don't think it's about me I think it's about them (laughs) I think any trolling tends to be about the poster, not the person they're posting about. 100%. But I also think the comment section give a far better temperature of the state of the world than the woke media bubble. My mum says this. And what people are talking about and how people are talking.
0: Yeah, my mum says this and I find that really disturbing. But she said the same thing. I think she... (laughs) She found online journalism, but a week ago, <laughs> and she she finally put her coffee at the Times These are her down. Know, yeah. <laughs> and she read something about Bojo, and she was reading all the comments under it, and she was like, "It's actually a really good
1: reflection of of the mood of the country." And I was like, "Please don't say that." <laughs> well, when the Brexit referendum was happening, mm-hmm. I was in London, and so you c- you couldn't move in London without people saying, oh, no. "Remain, remain, remain." Yeah. And so it was a real shock to me. My parents live out in Kent, and as you'd get further down the M20, you'd be like, "I don't think I'm." Th- it seems like yes. And the <laughs> oh, second but, you left London, it was leave, leave, leave. A hundred percent. Yeah,
0: of course. It's 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 really interesting. I think. Um, well, I mean, maybe we shouldn't venture too too <laughs> deep into politics. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to give myself another cross to bear. Um, I I find it very interesting that I mean, yeah, I I I was born and raised in Manchester, as you said in the intro. I grew up in London. Ever very, I guess, in a, in a way, expected typical view on politics and society being a, a multicultural city girl. But it never fails to shock and amaze me when I even like you know what when I went to Union Leeds um some of the I mean I remember once saying to I, weirdly I don't know why I am all my friends were from Hartlepool like all of them <laughs> I made like 10 Hartlepool friends Hartley Hartlepoolians anyway um and is that
1: like <laughs> I now need to know whether yeah, it's Hartlepoolians, is
0: Hartlepoolians? <laughs> um and I remember, because I, am again, like live in Northwest London, which is a very, very Jewish area. I remember being like, oh, yeah, I think I just said in passing, like, oh, yeah, explaining something about Friday night dinner, maybe. All my friends are Jewish. I'm like the only, I'm like the resident non-Jew in my group of friends. And then being like, oh, my God, you know Jewish people? And me being like, what the, f-? like, Leave that question alone. I was like, are you serious? And that was the first time I really got a whiff of it. And obviously, then you grow up and you have bigger life experiences. Mm. And, and it is crazy to me the complete polarized views as soon as you leave a big mm. city area and you go outside of it um quite I, I I find it quite scary but then I actually just think that's probably quite a an ignorant comment because if I was born and raised in you know I don't know Berkshire then maybe I'd be the same
1: I just sort of always think it's just the woke media bubble do you because the people that I in in my media life the People talk in a way that you just simply don't yeah. experience elsewhere. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I just sort of think, yeah, woke media bubble. Fair, fair. Which, which is a, a thing. Um, I'm going to ask you, on a scale of one to ten, how well you think you cope with the things in life that you can't control? I unbelievably badly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, this is James' biggest pet peeve about me. Like if I can't control something, I have a meltdown. I feel so overwhelmed by everything in my life that's in my control. How do you think I feel when I get a
1: golf ball? It's awful. So, I asked you this because I asked you if there's an obstacle that you had to overcome. And you've referenced your parents, but you said it was the anxiety that came with being your parents' daughter. Yeah, I have the best parents in the whole world. And I'm so lucky. I don't want people listening
0: like, oh, boo-hoo. Like, I'm so lucky. They're intelligent. They're successful. They're fantastic parents. They're loving. They're kind. They're generous. Yet, they forced me to work. (laughs) You know, they never gave me anything. And in terms of like, you know, a flat, a car or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, what people I'm sure would expect. Um, But... Yeah, I was, how old was I, 18, and my mum, they never bought me anything, (laughs) immediately follow up with, my mum, for my 18th birthday, bought me a Maria Grashfogel dress. I don't Uh know if she's still a thing, but she was a thing. She was a thing. She was a thing. Yeah. It was this, like, peacock, it was, like, this silk-printed dress, like, peacock, multicolored. It was beautiful. And I, my mum couldn't go to an event. She got ill, and my, I was 18, and my dad was like, do you want to come with me? And I said, yes, of course. (laughs) I want to come with you, there's going to be cameras there and celebrities there and, you know, free alcohol, which I will down while dad's not looking. Like he cares. He was probably handing me glasses of champagne. <laughs> um and I and I went, and because I was 18 and my dad was a household name and I was blonde and it was a very low cut, semi-sheer dress, obviously. The flash bulbs went off. And I was like, well, I look the, the tits, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was fine with this. It was fine. Although it's still to this day when I see a pepper it just start completely like shaking like this. It's awful. Um, and I was like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And that's where it started. I remember it vividly. I remember walking into the taxi and then putting the lenses down my dress. And that's where it started. And at the time, it was all, it was all fun and games until the tabloids threw you to the walls. And then, then we we're off we were just off to the races. It was everything that I did was I don't I don't know, like the, everything that was kind of I guess <sighs> negative or not, you know, not gleaming light of Rich and Judy's also Wants to be a Doctor. Um, was just everywhere, all the time. And I was young still, really young and Yeah, and and the word nepotism was being thrown at me constantly. I mean, absolutely constantly, especially by the Daily Mail. And (laughs) Shock. (laughs) And and like like I say, when Twitter started, I I joined Twitter. How old must I have been? Maybe 19? Um, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Talk about the the, the comment section of the Daily Mail. I mean, Twitter is just... The living breathing cesspit yes yeah, that's of that if that is stagnant twitter is the very real um minute by minute breath that it's taking <laughs> and it was um it was overwhelming and it was awful and it was horrible and then of course i crashed my car i got done for drink driving of course during a time where again like i say the paris hiltons and this and mm-hmm. this no one was hurt thank god i was fine everybody was and i was i was very very minorly over the limit but that was it that was it. It was like hunting season. And it just saw a huge, huge decline of my mental health. And it was mad. Like, it was on the front page of every tabloid newspaper. When the Evening Standard found out, I immediately got the call from my agent at the time. I don't have an agent now because I don't work in the industry anymore. And he was like, you need to like get out, get out of the house, go. So I left. My brother called me an hour later. I was like, where are you? I was like, I'm on my way to the airport because my mum and dad were in uh, France. I was like, I'm just going to go there for a day or two till it calms down. He was like, Chloe, can I just please reiterate this? I was just my parents' daughter. Like it made, and it was off the back of this that I even ended up getting Dancing on Ice because Mm -hmm. the coverage was so crazy. He was like, you can't, I can't get into the road. Like it was the lead story on the ITV evening news. I was the front page of every tabloid and the Daily Mail for like, I I think it was like a full two weeks wrote a double page spread about me and it was awful. It was absolutely fucking savage and it ruined my mental health and it just was, was horrific and I was like, I was just a kid and I was a fucking idiot but... I thought I was fine. I, I wasn't fine. Um, and I got, and I paid the price for that, you know, and I, I, I went to court and everything happened, happened. Um, but that was the, that was the beginning of it. And from there, it just was just like this, like I say, and dance your know, nice panic attack. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe it's, maybe it's, a uh, you know, performance anxiety and then a breakup. And then, but, and it was just like, you know, and you, you get, you spiral down the ribbon and it just all came tumbling down before I knew I was a fucking mess. <laughs> so yeah, it was it, it and, it was my fault because I made a mistake. But man, alive was it? Um, it's a young woman. It's a young girl, really. Man alive was it an onslaught for me mentally.
1: It's interesting because when you wrote that and said, um, "Being my parents' daughter," I honestly thought you would talk about being a lot younger. I cuz oh, I can't no. imagine what it must because cuz your parents to me it's not just that they're famous; they're familiar. Mm-hmm. If I was in the room with them, it wouldn't. Like, my even my physical boundaries with them would probably be different because you know them. I'd think nothing of like snuggling up to Judy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's a good cuddler. <laughs> well, this the thing is just the the familiarity. They were very much like when I should have been in university lectures, I was not. I was oh, watching yeah. this morning. Oh, you're so, a whole generation. <laughs> I hear it all the time. So there's this there's the fame element of it, mm-hmm. but there's the familiarity. And I assumed you were going to say growing up. Was difficult with them as people who were famous and so familiar to people. No, they were, f- it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> it was,
0: you know, I was a very little girl, you know, people dressed up as the Flintstones on, on this morning on Albert Dock in Liverpool. And as a slightly older girl, it was, oh my God, I'm going to go meet the Spice Girls. And as a, a young teenage girl, it was, holy fuck, there's Britney Spears. It was fun. <laughs> it was everything I wanted it to be and more. It was brilliant. And it was, you know, little Britain blowing up overnight and David Williams and Matt Lucas coming over for Sunday lunch next day. It was, are you kidding? As a teenager, as somebody like who thinks she's a spice girl, is Britney Spears' biggest fan. It was a dream come true. It was when I when I was old enough to be uh I guess for the uh, f- oh, I know exactly what I'm trying to say. To be fair game. Mm. And when I was old enough and, and like I say, a dawning of social media Of Twitter specifically, which is hell on earth. And why I'm not on Twitter anymore, even though it's probably a detriment to my career, I won't go back on it. Mm. Um, The dawning of social media, being turning 18, 19, being my parents' daughter, them still being on television at the time, fair game. Um, And that was it. That was when it became, I mean, just... Oh, hor- horrifically difficult to navigate mentally and my own fault again like i say in my head going into television was very much like a natural progression from what from like i say schooling they're absolutely feeding into the to the monster mm-hmm.
1: i i'm just curious about how people treated you though like people in your class because i hear about um here i say i hear about people i know who have a profile whose kids go to school they're the teachers are very aware that the parents are famous yeah. the other kids then treat that child differently did you ever have any of that were you ever no i'm extremely lucky in that where i went to school there are a
0: lot of celebrity children and my (laughs) parents were absolutely (laughs) categorically not the most famous people who had kids there um and so it was very normal and i think that was intentional and my friends were fucking awesome like when at the ntas when my mum's dress fell down how old was i i must have been 17 i think i was 17 i might be wrong my friends got up early all went into school. Didn't tell me. All went into school like an hour before school started. They got all the newspapers from the staff room. You must. I must how old was I? I? Don't know. Got all the all the newspapers from the staff room. Went into the library. Got all the newspapers from the library. Basically, took all the newspapers out of the school. Um, because it was front page. It was front yeah. page. I mean, I didn't. Mum didn't. Care. Nobody cared. I mean, the irony that John Leslie I was know. the one to zip her oh. off. <laughs> It was no. I didn't get it. like my. We were my family are very mentally, well, apart from me, clearly, mentally, emotionally um, strong unit. We're, we're a unit. We were fine. Everything was fine. But my friends are fucking awesome. Mm. Um, so it was fine. Uni was interesting. Like I say, that was an eye-opener. Yeah. Coming out of London, going to Leeds, and obviously very much being rich. And Judy's thought it was very, very interesting um, experience. But I had a great time at uni.
1: You obviously your relationship with your friends and family and from what you've just said but also listening to you on the EC method podcast mm-hmm. you talk about your friends and your family in such a brilliant way it's obviously it's obvious how important they are to you but also how much work you all put into it remaining mm-hmm. and continuing to be as strong mm-hmm. as th- those bonds are and so um, when I asked you about what your biggest challenges that you face to date, it, it was when that might have been in some jeopardy when there was just so much going on so many balls in the air mm. and trying to maintain relationships with all of those people whilst moving on to well you're whilst including work and all of those sorts of things
0: i you know what i i can i can force myself to stay on top of work even when it gets so overwhelming and when you're self-employed that's quite difficult and i want to seek refuge and support in my family and that's and, and my relationship. My social life is, for, without a doubt, and all of my friends will tell you this, the thing, the ball that I drop the most often and the thing that I find the hardest to maintain and the thing that I vow every time I pick it back up again, I'm never going to do it again because <laughs> it makes me feel so much stronger and more sane and more loved and more normal. Um, I really struggle with overwhelm. I do not understand how people are on whatsapp all day every day i don't i know you hate whatsapp <laughs> hate it to me it just, it makes me feel sick as soon as i go to open it i'm like here we go and i know that i'm going to spend a significant portion now of my time responding to every single person and by the time i finally got back to everyone everyone's replied to me and it's like this never-ending i don't understand how other people don't get it i can't i'm like do you not get it? The WhatsApp, like, how
1: do you feel about WhatsApp? I, well, maybe I don't use it as much as you. No, I don't. I literally or maybe, maybe that's why. <laughs> may, well, I have, maybe I communicate with too many people over too many different platforms. So like Instagram DM is my, hit. I hate Instagram DM. Oh, no,
0: me too. Hate it.
1: But I love a WhatsApp. I love a voice note. I like an email, but it's like I've categorized. So emails email. are very much work. But 100%. And, and now everyone's working on WhatsApp. Oh, yeah. No, that I don't care for.
0: I mean, I'm like, (laughs) fuck off. Get back onto email. Friends should be text messages on phone
1: calls only. WhatsApp can go ahead and die. See, no, I appreciate WhatsApp. Also, I like the groups because I have like a reality TV group, the Cohen Clubhouse, because we watch Bravo. What do you watch? all of bravo i mean i just love that you have this but the thing is is that so quite a few of them in australia some are in america and then we've got the london chapter so it's nice so when a show goes (laughs) you
0: you need your own reality show on bravo (laughs) the london chapter the london (gasps)
1: chapter of the clubhouse so the australians will watch the episode first whilst the london chapter are asleep feedback and say keep an eye out for this and then we'll wake up and we'll be like oh yeah yeah and so it's just this constant like it's one of my most favorite things i love that that's really cute so i love what's up for the groups that you can create and i know that you can do that in other um, formats formats but for me it's just it's very casual it's very social it's the conversations you could be having face to face over dinner
0: yeah i get what you're saying i mean i love my family whatsapp group (laughs) we've got a good bad rugby whatsapp group which i love and i'll always respond to we've got a family whatsapp group which i love and always respond to every other group no (laughs) just mute archive pretend it's not
1: there no it's awful Noted. So, when, so, okay, you do one to one coaching. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe that's being phased out, but you went back to work eight weeks after having a baby. Oh, God. Worst thing I ever did. Thank you for naming your baby the name that I wanted to call my baby after watching (laughs) Point Break. Oh, my God. Yes. No, I'm never going to have a baby. And it's always when I watch Point Break, I was like, if I ever have a kid, male or female, I'm calling it Bodhi. Well,
0: it is a gender-neutral name. It literally means enlightenment, new life. You know, uh, Buddhist pray to the Bodhi tree. It's, it's not. Everyone say like, it's a boy's name. I'm like, it's not fucking boy's mm. name.
1: It's not. But I, even if it was, why do you care? <laughs> Let me call my child what I want to call my child. So when you when you announced it, I was just so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly someone used my name someone used the name yeah you watch Point Break once Fall in Love with Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves and you're like right I mean think about it right the best films in the world are heist films mm-hmm. and then they
0: made it a surfer heist film with Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves. That's Johnny Utah. It's not Johnny Utah. You know when he's like, getting, whatever. No, I'll just do all the quotes and like. And You're about to go. I, I am an FBI agent. <laughs> no, I was do, the two things when he does Nixon and he goes, I am not a crook. And then the other one when he's like he grabs the he grabs that guy's hair to get like his um, DNA sample. Mm-hmm. And he was like, there's a bug in your hair. I saved
1: your life, bro. <laughs> I
0: just love it. Everyone needs to watch my
1: See, best. I love Seriously War Child. He's with me. Oh, very good. Very good. War Child. Scary. Yeah. Anyway. That, talk about a tangent. I know. But anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so you went back to work eight weeks after having a baby. Mm-hmm. Thank you for calling her Bodhi. <laughs> um, and so with coaching, with the one-to-one, with the work that you do, it is extremely giving. And so saying how important your relationships are with your friends, your family and your husband, plus you've got people who you're coaching one on one. Plus mm. I see how much effort you put into the EC method and it might be online coaching, but it's very hands on. It's very hands on. Mm-hmm. Like if you post, say you're a bit confused about what dumbbell to buy next, maybe that was me and you say, <laughs> what dumbbell should I buy next? You're, you are in there and you're mm-hmm. answering like you and Emma are very good. So there's a lot of giving. Mm-hmm. And is the overwhelm the fact that you will always, you will give to others and not yourself. And that's where the sort of the break, the disconnect happens. I think it's really
0: interesting, actually, that you think you've nailed it. I think it's, um, there's an influx all day, every day of tags, messages, tags, messages, tags, messages. And it's funny, whenever we talk to, especially men, especially men who make a lot of money about the EC method, they're like, obviously you just hire a team of people to do it for you like and i won't name names but like the biggest male coaches in our industry do oh uh, yeah and and our our usp if you like is no we coach ourselves. We source out the tax, the top finances. We source out the tech. Um, we do not fucking source out the coaching. It's called mm-hmm. the EC method. <laughs> Worst name ever. It's called the EC method because it's Emma and Chloe, third person. <laughs> um, it, it's called the EC method because it's our coaching. And you look at the other big coaches in our industry who are not doing the coaching themselves, but they are making a pretty penny off their name. Mm. And I just think it's unacceptable. I just do, and so does Emma. Um, So we coach. And what comes with that is, as I said, an influx of, for my one-to-ones, it's it's emails. From um, the EC method, it's Facebook tags. Um, Then you have your WhatsApp groups, where everyone's working now, all my friends are, all the groups are. And then you have your text messages, where slightly older people. (laughs) Will flow in and me, by the way, big fan of the old text message. And then I have my Instagram DMs and I've got like just shy of 300,000 followers and go look, and then, mate. I think it's got a lot to do with it. Um, And a baby. And a baby. So I I realized this very quickly. I was already struggling for all the reasons I've said. Um, And I just also want to add that it's a great privilege that I love my job. And Mm. I am, as I hope everyone's picked up so far, I'm so fucking grateful that I found this and that I wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't have the audience that I have and I didn't have the clients that I have. So huge. Can I say something
1: else there? Because one of the things that I'm really aware of as someone who has been, on the EC method and engages in your content is you are constantly learning you and Emma yeah. like no piece of research is going to come out and be live for more than 24 hours without you having read it yeah. and applied it and maybe adapted your coaching which yeah. i think is a real testament to how seriously you take
0: it yeah thank you and that's not without huge effort and constant fear and anxiety that we're going to say something we're going to get something wrong something that's been debunked that mm. maybe came out while we were on the live which happens mm while we're answering a question about it so we really keep on top of it and the beauty is emma and i were are interested in very different fields so i love the physique space and that's the narcissistic vein <laughs> how do i look space but it's the science of it that i love so i don't even care emma is much more entrenched in actually really quite specialist subjects mm-hmm. um whether it's um i don't know lifestyle kind of cancer recovery treatment or things like diabetes that was that was her come up really that's what kind of parlayed her into doing what she does now um you know um i'm obviously now pre and postnatal qualified emma's just got uh, just done two different courses in menopause um kind of um i guess considerations when coaching so so we are both very across our field in a vast spectrum and i appreciate you saying that because it's hard work it's not easy um But, yeah, it's very overwhelming. And I think when I had Bodhi, I really realized I have have part-time childcare because I I need the childcare to work, but I also want to be with my daughter. She's still very young. She's only six months, Um, and I'm completely obsessed with her. And I tried because I work from home and I'm self-employed to have her and coach, uh, which I do pretty much all day, every day. And she's screaming for me, and she's not well, and I'm sad and anxious and nervous, and I want to help her, and I can't. And I've got one of my clients, you know, asking me if it's possible that she's gained a pound of body fat overnight, which, you know, we all know because we've had the chat a thousand times. It's not possible. Your body doesn't work like that. And she and I suddenly realized I was having serious compassion fatigue mm-hmm. because this much more visceral connection over here that needs me, is screaming for me. And I was like, oh fuck, I can't coach and be a mum at the same time. Like I will not be a good coach, nor will I be a good mum. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. So now on the days when I have Bodhi, I don't even attempt to talk to clients because I'm not a good coach and I won't be a good mum. On the days when I don't have Bodhi, I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for the outlet of being a coach and my clients and the conversations that I love to have and that I'm so well-informed in at this point. I know that sounds like I'm too my own horn, but it's true. And I and I get a huge kick out
1: of that. So it's definitely a big learning curve. Was it also the first time you had to put that boundary in place? Because I think especially women, although that is a vast generalization, but we tend to be shapeshifters and load bearers. I agree. And just take on more and more and more without letting anything go. I agree. So was that the first time you had shifted gears in a way where you, mm. where you said things can't be done simultaneously? mm yeah, I think
0: you, uh, you're you right. You you load, bear, and you manage, and you manage, and you manage. Same thing could be said when I start to get anxiety. But yeah, and I agree. I think you're right. I know it's such a huge generalization, but I agree. I think women are like that. Um, we're multitaskers. It's what we do. And then something changes, like the straw that broke the camel's back. And for me, it was that visceral tie and connection and a paramount Importance that is my daughter, mm. and it, like I say, it's visceral. You don't, I, 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 don't even have to think about it. It's just there, and it just like, like a firework just goes smack when she's crying. Everyone else can fuck off. It's mm. that simple, um, and yeah, it hit me hard. And I was like, oh, okay, something has to give, and and it, it is giving as I've kind of intimated, um, and I'm shifting gears a bit in a way that's going to allow me to spend more time with her at this young age. You know, she's not going to be this little forever. Um, Less time on on kind of client work, and um, yeah, and yeah, it it needed a shift, and like we talked about, I think I opened the the gates for for that to take place, and it's starting to take place, and I'm very grateful. <laughs>
1: Okay. That's really good. Okay. So let's talk curveballs then. How good are you at handling a curveball? No, 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 <laughs> no. If I can't control
0: it, there's a problem. I told you, like I really struggle with overwhelm. Mm. And people say this word now, like, I don't know, maybe it's like a word of the moment or kind of like a humorous thing. Like it's, it's a problem. Like it's really hard when I it's debilitating. When I feel like I can't catch my breath and I've this mm. th- a thousand different things all happening at once, probably why I hate WhatsApp. And it's just... I just, you know, like fight or flight. I'm like, no, it's fight, flight or freeze. I'm a freezer. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I freeze. I'm just like, <laughs> you the worst.
1: I've definitely in the last six months experienced overwhelm in a way that I have for a really long time. And what happens is I try to outwardly look like I'm not overwhelmed. Yeah. But often what happens is I talk absolute nonsense. People ask me a question. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm i answering them in order to answer them. Yeah. I said that to Emma this morning about coming on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I
0: was like, sometimes I'll get asked like big, big questions, which I know that you ask, which is fucking fantastic. And I don't know how to answer it. So I just talk bollocks <laughs> and it's so transparent and it's so awful. And I was just like, yeah, that 100% manifests in the exact same way for me too.
1: Almost like cotton mouth. And then you realize yeah. you've left someone you're like, I've just said some really misleading things to them.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've misrepresented myself yeah. so
1: badly. And yeah. I don't, and I don't, and I'm not a fake person. Like I did gen- not if you ask me a question, I will. Yeah, same bring you the truth. And so to realise that I'm... The overwhelm was manifesting in just sort of saying something for the sake of saying it, yeah. but, but not saying the truth because yeah. I, I can't handle it.
0: <laughs> we used to do this on the EC method when someone would ask a question and we didn't really know the answer because there's a lot of women with a lot of very specific mm-hmm. questions. Like, what was the one we got recently? I can't even remember. I think it was on like MS Malcarnity and it was really complicated. <laughs> and, um, and we got asked this really random left to fill question, which neither of us knew how to answer. This was way back when we started. And we just try to like bollocks talk our way out of it. And afterwards, she was like, "Did you know the answer?" I was like, "No, I've neither of us you knew the answer." <laughs> I know the answer. She, and I said to her, "Next time, we just have to say I don't know." She was like, hundred percent." Now we do. Well, I don't mm. know. Let me go and read up, read up on it
1: because you know, we don't know everything. Well, please, can you share a little bit more information for context? Yeah,
0: you know what? Tag us in a post. Give me some info. By the time you've done that, I can look over the broad spectrum of what you're asking. Mm. And again, this is what being a good coach is. You've got to be malleable with your audience. And I'll come back and I'll and I'll. I'll apply the science because reading reading scientific review is really hard. Reading mm. scientific literature is really hard. There's a book
1: on how to read scientific review. Is there? Yes.
0: That's really interesting. Mm. So it's like, I'll go away and do that. That's my job. Then you, in, in the meantime, are going to tell me everything. So I've got the context. I'm going to come back with this information. I'm going to read your context. I'm going to make it applicable for you as a client. And that's what makes you a good coach. And it all starts with saying, I don't know. Mm. And I think, again, a lot of people and not comfortable saying those three words but you have to or you or you won't
1: grow <laughs> it's so true and actually the relief you feel when you actually say I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you're free. It's the best. I don't know what I'm expecting. I think I'm expect- If I, I think I used to be scared of saying I don't know for a long time because I thought people were like, oh, well, I won't ask you again. You're stupid. Yeah. I get that too. Again,
0: being my parents' daughter because they're so wildly intelligent and well-informed on everything. I've spent my whole life terrified that everyone would think I was stupid, which they did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to your specific curveball that we are going to discuss, you talked about um, how much your life changed. When um, James retired. Oh, God,
0: yeah. Oh, that was mad. It's still to this day. I've still not adapted. Neither see. (laughs) It's so funny. Like, we had this... I'm a real domestic. This, again, to go woo-woo. I'm a Cancerian, so I'm really domestic, and I like being at home. And I fucking am, and I do. (laughs) And so we had this really nice life where James was a rugby player. Kind of Monday through Saturday. Sunday was always home, whiskey, Domino's pizza. Like our Sunday was like like our our fun day together. Films on TV, absolutely no work. And then Monday through Saturday, both of us be in the gym training, accomplishing things, achieving goals. He would come home from training at like four, like rugby players start early and they finish early. So you'd come home at like four PM every day. Um and we'd have evenings together we'd I'd cook us dinner we just had this lovely lovely lifestyle and then he retired and everyone It's in the rugby world, especially when, like, God, you're so lucky that James is like Dick Van Dyke. He literally has 17 jobs and he's like a street painter one day and he's in a band the next day. And he's like, I don't know, flying a kite the next day, whatever, chimney sweep, all of them. (laughs) And you're so lucky that you don't have that fear that when he retires, he's going to stop making an income um, and or get depressed because there's nothing for him to do. Etc. cetera, et cetera. Actually, you know what was really, it was, that's a br- brilliant thing about James is that he retired and he just went on to his 17 other thousand projects. But w- that came hugely at the expense of, what I loved about our relationship was this domesticity mm. and this real kind of Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday show, like drive, accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. And then this Sunday, like home together and, and obviously dinners and stuff. Now I would say I see James maybe two nights a week, And if I'm lucky, not at the moment because of the Six Nations, I'll get a Sunday with him. And it's horrific. Like, because it is not what I signed up for. Definitely not how I want my domestic and kind of marital life to be. But he's so fucking happy. He's like, he's got two residences in Ibiza this year, this summer. So he's going to be flying to and from Ibiza from May through to September. He's on tour right now doing his own little stand-up tour. That was so (laughs) patronising. It is a little stand He's doing little venues. And it's just him going around and doing a little (laughs) stand-up tour. Versus Good Bag Rugby Tour, which I think starts next month. And that's a big tour. Mm. And then, I mean, it's just like, it's never-ending. And he's so happy. And he's, you know, doing great in terms of his career. Like I would say, since he retired, I think he's more probably well-known and successful in a way since he's retired than he was before. And that's fantastic. And he's happy and that's great. But yeah, that's been a huge adjustment and I'm not adjusted yet at all.
1: But that to me makes me feel overwhelmed listening to it. Oh, it's horrific. It was was, what you had before was routine. You know what the week was going to look like. And there's a certain amount of mental safety in knowing what the next seven days are going to look like. And if every week is different, that's going to add to the existing things feeling. that are inconsistent yeah no it's it's. I really
0: also this thing so James has ADHD which has a lot to do with it so he can't focus on one thing at one time and if he does well he can't He'll he, he his focus will shift like he'll be halfway through unloading the dishwasher
1: <laughs>
0: and then he'll there'll be plates and cups everywhere where they're kind in the kind of ish region where they're meant to go and there's still some stuff in there and then he's in his office DJing and I'm like <laughs> like I'm a box ticker okay this is how I thrive but he thrives in chaos, and I—I I don't. And it, it, without a doubt, when you ask that question in that question now, it's like 100% the biggest adjustment that I've had to make yet. And I'm, like I say, still not there. Even bigger than having Bodhi, mm. like
1: even more like overwhelming than that. Have you had to sort of? Have you had to almost grieve the life that you had before? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Every day, I'm still <laughs>
0: grieving. Yeah, definitely. Loads of people, I'm sure, can relate when you're. You have to move for your partner or, you know, your partner changes jobs or something happens. I mean, I think there's a significant portion out of people out there who don't talk about this, but who regret having children, um, which obviously is like the worst thing you can say and people don't talk about it. I'm very lucky that I'm not in that camp, but I spent my whole third trimester terrified that I would be. Um, it's a lot, you know, a lot of people can relate. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a big change when you're not someone who likes change is difficult.
1: How do you cope with the change then? Is it thinking about this will even out or it'll look like this in the future? Is it a case of, well, it's not how it was, now is kind of turbulent. So focusing on what it could potentially be in the future, Does that is that grounding? No, it's compassion
0: and being a supportive partner. If James even tried for a second to tell me what to do with my life, we'd have a big problem. So just because he's doing something that I don't like and makes me feel quite uncomfortable and like lonely at times which is part of the reason why i was so insistent when i got pregnant we moved back to london um he's happy and he's thriving and i love him and love is selfless i don't know if you've (laughs) had so i just have to kind of pat him on the back and say good for you keep going by the way i hate this just remember i hate this so if you're ready to stop
1: stop (laughs) but until then go (laughs) and that's how i deal with it that seems that seems really fair. Yeah. You're being really clear about your feelings, but you're also allowing him know. the space to do what he wants to do. It's I do feel a bit guilty.
0: Like I do, as much as he feels guilty, being like I just booked two residencies on Ibiza that are going to take me wait, May June, like five months, <laughs> five months to complete. And I know that he feels guilty bringing that to my door. I feel guilty that he feels guilty, mm. and that I'm not like you know crip walking in high tops bum shorts around a pool in ibiza with you know plaits and sparkly face gear
1: and like yeah
0: fuck yeah i'm like oh god (laughs)
1: do you know what it's really it's really beautiful it reminds me of a couple of friends of mine obviously covid was horrible for lots of people yeah and a friend of mine um when everything relaxed just said to her husband if you get work take it don't consult with me just go you couldn't work for two years yeah so if you get it, if it's offered, take it. hundred percent. I'll support you. Yeah, I think I sh-
0: completely. And that, yeah, rings true for me as well. J- keeping James, I talk about ADHD, Dick Van Dyke, keeping him locked up in the house for that. <laughs> I mean, wow. Um, and I, yeah, I vividly remember him being like, oh, is it okay if I don't come home for like, you know, we have a rule now or we, it doesn't work. <laughs> but, you know, the intention's there. That if he's gone more than three nights without coming home, on night four, he'll come home. Mm-hmm. Um and I remember him being like, Do you mind it? And I was like, No, just take it. Like you have to look, guys, part of you you have to grow up at some mm. point and realise that your marriage is gonna it's about compromise. And that's how you both find happiness. And like I say, turning the tables on you, if James was like, No, I don't want you to do another round of the easy method, I'd be like, fuck you, I'm gonna do it. Do you know what I mean?
1: It's you know, it's being a grown up. Yeah. It's a good way of looking at it. What what would happen yeah. if he said the same thing to you? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um Well, I think that listeners will know that you're very (laughs) self-aware. I talk way too much. (laughs) As much as you analyse the science papers, you also, I think, analyse your behaviour and try to make good choices. So um, talk to me about a time when you were wrong. Uh, (laughs) What did I give you on the questionnaire? So this goes back to the anxiety disorder Mm -hmm. and about your dad's input. And the fact that you yes. thought that you could handle it all on your own and it would all be okay.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I wonder how many people out there, I made this my like, um, I guess, mission for a while. I don't know how many people out there, and I doubt anyone listening to this podcast because you do such a fantastic job of shining a light on taking care of your mental health in every element. You should be so proud of what you do. Thank you. I, again, I don't know how many people out there have been in this headspace of I know there's something wrong, but it's okay. I can handle it. I knew that oh, I wasn't sleeping. Obviously, I was very, I was being, like, violently sick a lot of the time. <laughs> I was desperately unhappy, um, spiraling into depression. And every and I remember for years being like, no, I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. And if it hadn't been, and I was completely wrong, I couldn't handle it. And if it hadn't been for my dad, walking into the kitchen that day and literally pulling me up from the floor and saying to me, like, enough is enough, I can't help you. You can't help you. There are people, by the way, who can. <laughs> Let's get them on board. And actually going about it, not procrastinating, sorting it out that morning, mm. booking me in with a therapist and and making sure that it was genuinely kind of signed, sealed, sealed delivered for me because I was incapable of doing it. And I think I was just burying my head in the sand. Um, I honestly, truly don't know where I'd be today. And I, I, I've lost friends from, you know, uh, who've had really horrible um, experiences with that, with what's happening kind of outside and also inside their own head. Um, and when it didn't end very well for them, I really struggle because it's kind of like someone's holding up a, a mirror of what could have been for me. Um, so yeah, I am just forever eternally grateful for my father who is a very pragmatic matter of fact man and not like me and my mom who live in our own heads being like, Oh, this is a problem. Um, thank God for him.
1: It sounded then like the mirror that is put in front of you. Mm. If it seems like had he not picked you up off the kitchen floor, mm. had you not started that therapy, mm. is there a part of you that thinks that you might not have made it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it was it was such a it was such a a, a snowball of th- things that happened over a period of years um that kind of culminated in me feeling like I shouldn't like I just was like the worst most embarrassing like most underaccomplished most ridiculed person and it was embarrassing for everyone around me And it was horrible. It was a horrible thing to go through. And like I say, I've had friends in a very similar situation not come out the other side of it, but feeling the exact same way. This is so embarrassing. And I'm such a joke. And, you know, social media and the press and all of these things have a lot to to do with it. Um, They didn't come through. I remember vividly when certain things have happened, reaching out to people like this and saying like, listen, do not buy into this narrative, narrative, whatever you do, you know, and and they did and it didn't end very well. And it's, I am so grateful that my dad is my dad and I'm so lucky. You know, I talk talk about, you know, the anxiety and all the kind of the tough things about being my parents. So at the end of the day, I hit the fucking jackpot. My parents are incredible Um which is funny. And and I just honestly, yeah, I just encourage anyone who knows anyone who's going through a hard time. It, sometimes I know everyone's like, just ask the question, are you okay? Sometimes it goes beyond that. Mm. Sometimes like, actual practical action is what's needed. Act. Um, really act. And, and yeah, because when you really see it go the other way, right in front of your eyes. Man alive, do you wish you could turn back the clock and do more than you did? And I know that I feel like that with certain things. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's important.
1: Do you do you feel capable to um send the ladder down? And what I mean by that is that sometimes on the road to recovery you have you need so much of it for your own recovery. Yeah. yeah. that it can be hard sometimes to help someone else. Yeah. even though you might be able to see very 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 clearly that they also need the help that you've got. It's almost like I'm not robust enough yet to share. To give this. you, yeah. No,
0: I know. When I see people who I who I love struggling, I'm I feel like it's my duty to help. And and actually, like I say, that the the real struggle comes when it doesn't work. Um, but I do find this interesting. One of my friends is a very accomplished uh, psychologist, and she says that people tend to have. Two responses when they see other people struggling with the same things they've struggled with. One of two, I should say. One that they immediately rush to them. They have this kind of compassion and they want to help because they've been there and they recognize it and they want to help. Mm. And two, that they feel repulsed by it and they don't want to look at it because they don't want to be reminded of what they've gone mm. through or how to deal with it. And I think that's so true. There are certain things I've gone through and I'm very, very bad with dealing with friends who are going through a horrible breakup or a hard breakup because I'm so scared. That happened really badly for me. Mm. That was one of the things that contributed to me having a bit of a, a spiral. Um, I find it very difficult to be around. Um, but within this case with kind of, you know, this feeling like you're being hung out to dry and it's getting out of your control and you have completely lost control of the way that your name is being thrown out there or your own narrative, that I feel very, very, very strongly that people need to... to I feel very defensive of, of people and, and myself. Anyone who follows me on social media will know. I'm not scared to stick up for myself now. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's funny. It
1: can go either way, I think. I think what recently there was a post or there was a news article that was written about you based on something you wrote about going back to work and about yeah. Um, earning. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. And it was taken out of context. In fact, I didn't see what was written, but I believe from what you said, yeah, it was taken out of context and it reflected really poorly on James. Yeah, both of us that I needed money mm.
0: and that James was like withholding money from me postnatally. Fucking bollocks. All because I said, look, I'm self-employed. We just bought a house in London. We just had a baby. You know, we're furnishing the house. We refugged the house. These things cost money. Welcome to the real world. I'm self-employed as is James got to a point after invoice after invoice after invoice from the builders and you know furniture and whatever it's like holy shit i've got to go back to work and james was like no don't go back to work it's okay like i'll deal with this until i and when i tell you okay i can't mm-hmm. and i was like no i don't want it to ever get to that point yeah and it wouldn't have because i would have gotten back to work at that point but i went back to work and you know this and you know i'm sure I, you probably realized i don't have a filter i just pretty much say what comes into my head that feels quote-unquote authentic at the time. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it just got translated into Chloe Maidley needs the money with the very strong insinuation or needs money, I should say, with a very strong insinuation laced throughout that James wasn't providing for us. It was just... It's just like, why do I bother with the press? Like, they're still the same. Mm. They're they're never going to change. Why do I bother? And this is why I like social media, on the contrary to other conversations that people in the press like to have. I like it because you can stand up and you you can stand up for yourself. And I fucking use it. And um, and who was it? My brother the other day was like, sometimes you just come across like a little bit chippy. And I was like, good, I am. Good. So like, I'm going to keep going. Because I, I get so much strength from being able to say the truth. Is this the brother
1: who's a really successful talent manager? Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Dad, Dad, yeah, of course you know that.
1: <laughs> I would. I mean, so managing other people's careers in the spotlight, I'd be like, would would you listen to him maybe? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> to me, it's just my stupid older
0: brother. No, my brother's fantastic. I I am very lucky. Actually, they're all... They get, they all give completely different advice and they're all fucking brilliant and I love them. I'm just very lucky to have the family that I have.
1: Yeah. They're lucky to have you as well. You're excellent. <laughs> Thanks, babes. <laughs> um, to close, we've hurtled towards our time limit, if you like. Not that we yeah. had a time limit. <laughs> yeah. But um, to end our conversation, I'm going to ask if you have, I'm sure you do, we sure have more <laughs> than one actually. Do you have a motto or a saying that has helped you and you can have as many as you like? Oh, God that you would like to share with listeners to pay forward the benefits that you've experienced from living by them or it? Oh my gosh.
0: Someone, (laughs) someone once said to me, this is going to sound again, people don't like talking about money. um, But someone once said to me, if I'd listened to what everybody else had to say about me, I wouldn't be a millionaire now. And I really like that because, and you can apply it to any context, it doesn't have to be money when you feel and we talked about you know the flow and the calling and the angel singing, <laughs> when you feel very viscerally, very strongly that you should be doing something or you should follow a passion or a love or a you know being like i say with with Bodhi, the visceral instinct that i I want to be with her more um if you follow that, wonderful things can happen because all you're doing is you're opening up doors and windows all around you to letting this new life that you you know you want to live, letting it flow, letting it come to you, letting it happen. Um, and if you, like you on the train, had decided that you were going to get into work and get on your hands and knees, beg for forgiveness for falling asleep, <laughs> showing up five hours late <laughs> and cracked on. You'd probably be pretty fucking miserable now. Mm. So you took the gamble and you did this anyway. So I don't necessarily mean it in terms in the context of money, but in anything. Follow what you know is gonna lead you to the best life that you can live. And by the way, I just wanna remind everyone, because I'm talking about success here. Success isn't necessarily financial. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the freedom maybe to be able to go on an extra holiday with your family a year or, you know, to go home at six o'clock at night finally and have dinner with, with your with your wife or your husband or got to buy the, you know, red chair that you love in the really expensive antique shop. I mean, it can literally be anything. I just I think if you really follow what you know is going to serve, is going to make you happy and serve you well, it will serve you well. Um, so
1: I think that. <laughs> That's about tuning into what you stand for. I think. And I, I think agree. It's so it's so culturally common to believe that you have to live a certain way yeah. and follow a part a, a specific path, and that actually, and that starts in school, and that really disconnects you from your wants, needs, passions, desires. I completely agree. And actually, it's really important work to do to yeah. get really focused on what it is you want be really self-aware
0: yeah what your version of success is i completely so for james i think he's very financially driven um and that's fine fair enough whatever he loves attention loves the microphone loves the camera you'll know when he comes on your podcast (laughs) um he's a peacock and he loves it um that is not me i (laughs) I just talk 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 about myself um i like i say i want to be at home I want to be able to work from home. Mm. That for me is success because that's something I want that will make me feel good. I want to be able to have more time with my daughter because that's something that I want that will make me feel good. I want to be able to, I don't know, uh, travel, you know, and everyone's wants are different and I definitely think that if you, if you surrender to it, as you said, not if you don't surrender to, I suppose, the societal norms, mm. but if you surrender to what you know is, you're gonna have so much success. Mm. Um, and I just I, I I truly, truly believe that with all my being. And I don't necessarily buy into the secret I, at all. Um, but I think it goes a bit farther than that. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> like, why'd you have to go and bring up the secret?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, <laughs> but I do mean it in a very practical knowing yourself, making the best decision for yourself sense not you know writing things on a piece of paper and hiding them under a tree
1: for many many years <laughs> i would every time i had a birthday and there was a birthday cake and there was a candle on it the thing that i would wish for was to lose weight yeah that did not make me lose weight no and i that to me is what manifesting is in it's in in isolation yeah. it's wanting something yeah but not doing the work to find out what the work is that you need to do to achieve that goal. Absolutely. It applies in everything, including relationships. You
0: know, what do you, I talk about, you know, things I want from, what am I doing to try and get that to happen? Like Mm -hmm. what, and um, same with your health and, you know, body image, you know, um, what are you really doing? Uh, And it's, it's, it's so true you know it's i'm not a religious person although absolutely no shade to anyone that is i think it's a wonderful thing to be able to have and believe in and i'm quite jealous and envious i should say of people that there are you know people of faith um not the extremists <laughs> everyone else that looks quite hard um, but it's true that they all say you god will do 50 percent of the work and you have to do the other 50 so you have faith that he's gonna manifest this path for you and you're th- laying the bricks on the other side of it manifesting it as well mm-hmm. um, and I completely I just love that and I think that really encompasses Oh, is, that my wrong word? <laughs> I'm like, is that the wrong word? is that the wrong word? What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say? Uh, <laughs> what is the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> it, it kind of it really sums up what I'm trying to say. Um, but obviously, I don't mean it in the context of religion.
1: I I think what what it does to me, what I hear manifesting is like looking for the magic mm-hmm. outside of you. Yeah, and not to sound like a trap, but the mag- <laughs> the, you bring the magic.
0: Yeah yeah you're the magic you're the magic yeah follow follow you guys follow your dreams
1: (laughs) god was like totally i mean (laughs) it's a right man disney film this is this has been so much fun yeah i've loved it i wish you'd open up a bit more i know
0: i'm sorry i don't (laughs) stop talking i get it from my dad and i don't have a filter again i get it from my dad i'm very sorry
1: i like which makes you a dream guest oh thank you i've enjoyed my time with you hugely thank you thank you so much emma thanks guys thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode then make sure you're subscribed so you never miss a show and why not tell a friend about the podcast if you want to watch what happens behind the scenes then head over to my instagram where i'm at emma guns and if you want to get in touch with me and share any risks obstacles challenges or curveballs that you've faced and overcome then tell me on the beauty podcast at gmail.com and it may feature in one of the midweek shows thank you so much for tuning in i will see you on the next one